From the letter to the Romans we heard, You have received the spirit of Heothesia, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Some modern translators like to write there, the spirit of sonship, but you can count on your clergy at St. John's to get it right in your bulletins. The Greek word huiothesia is rare in the New Testament, and it precisely means adoption, as it says there. I'm going to share an intimate experience of my own with you this morning and invite you to help me. This T-shirt, on this T-shirt, Robin Williams lists the top ten reasons for being an Episcopalian. Starting with number ten, no snake handling, and ending with number one, no matter what you believe, there's bound to be at least one other Episcopalian who agrees with you. Now he's got that right. Thank you. Number, in the middle, number six is pew aerobics. You may, uh, Episcopalian kneeling and standing and sitting amazes other Protestants. Let me invite you to one extra minute of pew aerobics. If you are adopted or someone in your family is adopted, a child, a parent, a brother or sister, please stand up with me now because my sister is adopted. Please do stand up with me. I'll be right back. Good. Stay standing. Okay, the rest of you sitting down. If you know someone who is adopted, know anyone at all, please stand up. You see, most of us are standing up because you know the people who stood up first, right? Now you can all sit down. (laughs) Since I aged out as rector of St. Gregory's in San Francisco, I visited lots of parish Eucharists, including a few Sundays here at St. John's. And there's always something to like. The sermon, the music, the friendly coffee hour, the pretty building and the flowers, sometimes even the comfortable seats. I bet that an, but I bet that if an alien visitor from Mars walked into most Episcopal services, she would never figure out from what happens there what these people think they are up to. The pew aerobics are puzzling enough. Some people in the pretty church are staring out the window or watching other people walk around in bright clothes, or sleeping while one speaker talks. Eventually, most of the congregation walk up to the front stage area here, have a little nibble, and walk back to their seats where they resume pew aerobics as before. We do have books and classes that say what we are supposedly doing in a service, But I have asked people at parish coffee hours what they think they are up to, and almost nobody tells me. What an obvious problem for church growth. How can we expect folks to join up and give their irreplaceable time, more important than their money, give it to an outfit whose members won't say what they are up to? So this morning I want to talk about what we're up to and what you and I are doing here, not what we should be doing, nor what we should be thinking about what we're up to, but what's really going on at St. John's and why we choose to keep coming to spend our time and money 
doing it. When I was four, my parents asked me whether I would like a brother or a sister. I did not know that my mother had had six miscarriages before my birth and hysterectomy afterward. I just said, a sister, thinking that would make a nice family balance. I still remember the day I watched through our front door as my parents walked up carrying a little bundle home from a Chicago adoption agency called The Cradle. They put us both down for a nap. And when they checked up a little later, they found my sister's crib empty and ran into my little room to see that at four years old, I had lifted her out, laid her on my bed, fallen asleep with my new sister beside me. My sister is perfect. I only hope your adopted relatives are. Well, I was mean to her sometimes in my teenage days. But when our parents died 10 years ago and we broke up the house, there was nothing we both wanted to fight over. Our only arguments were, you have to take this ugly heirloom, I took the last one. (laughs) Of all the treasures my parents left me, my adopted sister is the best. And I'm glad to think that in a way, I sort of helped choose her. When people say, how odd of God to choose the Jews, I know that mystery intimately. A moment ago, I asked you to stand if you were adopted or if you knew someone who is. Had I asked that in any congregation during Jesus' lifetime, nobody would have stood up. Jews were different that way. Greeks and Romans adopted people, And in Asian cultures, adoption is still the traditional way to leave your family business to the next generation. So some Japanese and Chinese business people you meet today have been adopted as adults. But Jews never adopted anybody. And synagogues never accepted alien converts either. A few rabbis welcomed those aliens' faith. But converts could never become Jews, because the only way to be a Jew was to be born one, as the child of a Jewish mother. And born a Jew, you were always a Jew. Birth was it. That's why many Jewish Christians were shocked when Paul founded churches full of alien Greeks and Romans. In Paul's churches, faith was all that mattered. His letter to the Romans, which we just heard, was Paul's last. Other apostles had founded the Roman church, so he knew it was solidly Jewish, like himself. Rome, after all, had more Jews than Jerusalem, just the way New York now has more Irish than Dublin. And so to to explain to his fellow Jews what he's been up to, Paul repeatedly argues that Jews are just like other nations in God's eyes. He says... Of course, we Jews were chosen and blessed with advantages. Yet we inherit those blessings not by birth, but through faith and faith alone, just the way that Abraham and Jesus modeled for us. Look at the pronoun Paul uses in in your brochure. You Roman Jewish Christians have the spirit of adoption by which we can call Abba, Father. He means Jews, like Paul himself, we were adopted when God chose Abraham and all our forebears 
to carry God's promises for all humankind. That was Paul's radical idea, almost as radical as Jesus' idea that God loves every human being equally, whether we are good or bad. Such ideas led Jesus to the cross and Paul to a life of wrangling and debate. But those weren't new ideas. You can find them in the prophet Amos, the Bible's first prophetic book, and later in prophet Isaiah's vision. One day the ritually pure Jewish people and the permanently impure foreigners will all feast together and purity differences will no longer matter. That's what you and I are up to at Saint, here at St. John's. That's why you come here, why you give your time and money to know and experience that we are all God's people. We are all adopted. We are all one family. Now, I don't mean a parish family. Please stop calling St. John's a parish family. Distinguishing who belongs at St. John's is a fake. Instead, we are a whole human family sharing one inheritance. You come here because you already long to make that family real in your life, in your town, in your world. And in Jesus' spirit, St. John's congregation has the power to make that truth real in everyone's experience, especially yours. Your longing is urgent because the opposite delusion leads everywhere to war. And in war, even superior technology won't protect anybody. 2014 is the 100th anniversary of World War I. Our newspaper columns now debate why World War I started and ran on for four years and killed one-third of European youth. After all, the British and German monarchs were relatives, and many opposing generals were friends. Henry Kissinger answers that the disaster happened because Europe's leaders didn't recognize how their improved technology had made limited war impossible, and every advance made things worse. Last month, I took a, an Oakland Museum cruise along the Dalmatian coast, it used to be called Yugoslavia, where Serbs and Croats, Croats, founded a more, fought a more recent war, killing thousands and destroying ancient monuments. Aboard our ship, a linguist from Cal remarked that all those warring nationalities spoke one language with only tiny differences. Yet when the American journalist Peter Jennings asked a young Serbian sniper on television, why are you shooting people? The sniper replied, tragically, to preserve my language. From St. John's pulpit, you have heard about our American racist inheritance and the disadvantages we still load onto African Americans. It's a heavy national problem, hard to know whether you and I can make a difference. But let me name one place where you can make the very difference you long for, especially appropriate here in California. You may have heard that during World War II, 
A British math genius deciphered the German code machines, so the Western allies secretly read every German military message. Without that technological advance, the British would be speaking German today. And we Californians would just as surely be speaking Japanese if it weren't for the Navajo and Cherokee tribal volunteers who handled communications for our Pacific fleet. Japanese intelligence could never decipher the American Navy's messages because they were not in code. They were in another tongue, a tongue no Japanese spy, not even an American high-tech traitor, could master because Native American languages are so primal and complex that you have to learn them from childhood. This past June, the last surviving Cherokee code speaker died. He was proud of the recognition which our secretive federal government had finally awarded him and his comrades. Without their service to Americans of every ethnic background, we Californians would have no American inheritance to share. What a tragic irony, then, when we consider the very first law that our California legislature passed in the 1840s was a bounty on the heads of Native Americans. We white folks have done more violence and more injustice to those nations than all the evils of African slavery and for a longer time. Yet Native Americans are among our loyalist citizens, volunteering for our military, serving in Congress, nursing and healing, and teaching wherever they are welcomed. My father was 116th Iroquois and proud of it. That makes me 132nd, which is too small a percentage to earn me any tribal membership. But Dad willed to me his Plains Indian headdress, which I'm going to put on and invite you to do something now for our humblest and too often our poorest North American family members. We white folks have every advantage today, just as Paul claims his fellow Jews had. But like them, we Christians have also the spirit of Christ, by which all alike can call God Abba, Father. So just for a start, phone or write your congressperson. Tell her you support justice for Native Americans and ask her what she's doing for them on your behalf. Congress staff do count phone calls and legislation comes up annually, even monthly, that could convey a bit of what our European forebears promised in treaty after treaty. After all, it's our inheritance we share with them. You and I are all adopted Americans, so we all have the same right to see justice done. And once you ask your congressperson's staff, you'll hear about more things you can do, some of them simple, to fulfill the longing that has brought you into church this Sunday and every Sunday and will advance what you and St. John's Parish are really up to.